Welcome to Do Theology, where we keep doctrine in its place. Today we are playing for you an interview that we conducted with John Harris. If that's a name you're familiar with, he's got his uh, YouTube channel, Conversations That Matter. It's a podcast as well. It's very well known. He's got a couple of books about how social justice and Christianity, kind of uh, the differences and the the uh, meshing together that some people have tried to do with those things and a uh, very helpful dialogue that, that he brings to the table. In our interview with him, we, we wanted to spend time talking about not only just the social justice issues that are existing in our culture right now, but what are the priorities that the everyday layperson should be having when it comes to these issues within the church and how we should be approaching them just from a, from a layman's perspective. So after the music, we'll jump right into our conversation with John Harris from Conversations That Matter. That's the name of his YouTube channel, right? Conversations Correct. That Matter? Yep. After the music, you'll hear us uh, introducing him and jumping into that conversation. See you then. Neither Bethel nor Hillsong meet the biblical definition of a true church. Did you know that Jesus was born again? Is his view heretical? If it isn't, then there's no such thing as heresy. It's not just a black and white issue. There's an issue, there's a question of moderation and how damaging and how harmful things are. Not every act of divine revelation is equal in authority. Angelic forces, angelic reinforcement. I mean, it's, it's hard to even respond to that, isn't it? It's, it's mind-numbing, it's blasphemous. When the apostles use the word atonement, they do not depict an angry God. It's cryptic, it's watered down, it has nothing to do with the judicial aspect of the Christian gospel. The most important of all doctrines is that the Bible is the word of God. They have different ideas than you do. You don't have to automatically kick them out of the kingdom. All right, joining us today is the host of Conversations That Matter, a podcast and YouTube channel that is one of the most helpful sources for critical thinking regarding the social justice movement. He's the author of Social Justice Goes to Church and Christianity and Social Justice, and you can order signed copies of those books and learn more about this ministry at worldviewconversation.com. John Harris, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you, Ken and Jeremy. Uh, looking forward to it and uh, appreciate the invitation. Yeah, well, we're glad to have you on here, and we're, we are having a conversation about social justice, and here we are. It's the year 2022. The conversations about social justice have been rolling on for a number of years now. Uh, I don't know. How long have you been talking about these things? I think the first kind of viral video that I made uh, was January of 2019 on the subject, and I had I had written some blogs. I, I think uh, it was maybe 2017, summer of 2017 or 16. I want to say where I had I, I wrote a blog criticizing uh, the racial reconciliation infused with critical theory kind of direction Southern Baptists were going, but no one really read that. So um, I would say, yeah, I've consistently been talking about it since at least January 2019. So it's been a few years. So it's yeah, it has been a few years, and we as we think about that, I know for my part, there have been times as we have you know, as I've engaged the social justice conversation and have heard about you know different angles and people talking about different things, and I've listened to several of the uh, the videos and the podcasts that you've made, which have been very helpful. There has come a point though where I have to confess even to myself that man, I I get kind of tired of the conversation at times because like okay, don't don't we already know who's on what side here? Don't we aren't the haven't the lines all been drawn? Why the is fault this, lines? You could say the fault lines have <laughs> right, right. Why is this still an important conversation for today? As here we are in 2022. Um, well, for a number of reasons. It, number one, I think because even if you understand the mechanics of social justice what it is, what it does, um, some of the main organizations and people behind it, um, it keeps taking different forms over time. And so it's applied in different arenas to different things. And um, so you have even the, in the last few years, we had the Me Too movement and we had the BLM movement. Then we had really this kind of totalitarian COVID push. Um, we have this year. We we've gone through uh, a few different things. We had um, and 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 they're not 
they're not all as connected. Uh, for, for instance, I was going to bring up the Ukraine kind of pro-Ukraine pushes. It, it is a manifestation of the social justice stuff. And I've talked about this, but it doesn't mean that everyone is who's supporting Ukraine is somehow caught up in social justice, but there is certainly a social justice warrior angle to it that is being propagated. So we've, we've seen that this year. Uh, we've seen um, the feminist stuff because of the overturning of Roe v. Wade sort of come back to the surface. Uh, we have um, kind of under the surface, but it I think it's going to make its way to the top here pretty soon, a climate justice hmm. uh, movement. Uh, in fact, if you live in Maine, this is going to be this is part of your everyday life now um, with the attempts to try to stop commercial fishing and lobster fishing in particular. Um so and and there's there's just other things too out there. I mean that that are um, constantly arising. So I think that's one of the reasons to talk about it to identify the different areas and expose where it, it's making inroads. Um, when it comes to Christianity, there's uh, different organizations that are being subverted at different rates, and there's different tactics that are being employed, different terms that are being used to do that. So if someone understands what standpoint epistemology is, that's a big word, but if they understand that and they understand this is part of social justice, they might not know what um, cultural or uh, yeah, cultural awareness is. Uh, that sounds good. Well, people are pushing standpoint epistemology, but instead of using that term, because people know that term, they're using another term. So being on top of it, knowing kind of the word games that are played, the new characters that are arising to push this agenda, the different rates at which it's affecting different ministries makes it a topic that doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. It just keeps changing forms. And I'm hoping one day, cause I get tired of it too, to some extent. I mean, I, I've talked about it quite a bit. I'm hoping that there's a day that's coming where I can say, I think I've said everything that needs to be said. I, I think it's um, done the damage it's going to do. And there's really not much more to say, but I, I would think I would be naive if I thought that it, this has been happening for a long time. And it's kind of like um, a child when he's growing up and has a growth spurt. The movement had a growth spurt the last few years. It wasn't anything new, really. It was just making inroads, advances really quickly and uh, at a speed that most people just weren't prepared for. <laughs> and so that's what I think boosted my platform because I was explaining it. But we're going to see more of this. We're going to see whether it's slow or quickly. We're 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 still going to see the secular religion gain a foothold. Um, so it's very similar to, to asking the question: Why should we study Mormonism or why should we study you know these other things um, that I mean don't develop maybe quite as fast, but they still have some development. It's like well because it's important. There's still people believing lies. It's still a false gospel. There's still people going to hell, and Christianity needs to be defended. And so. Um, it's it's like any other religion. We we oppose it the same way we would oppose um, a more traditional religion. I so. I preached a sermon series in October of 2018. It was just a little four part series on social justice and the gospel. I think it was called God's Word on Social Justice. And at that point, you know, I covered like race and money and gender roles and sexuality, those sorts of things that seemed like pretty basic fundamental aspects of the social justice movement at that time. And at that time, it seemed as though social justice was relatively confined to the political realm. It was something that liberal Democrat open, openly liberal progressive people wanted in the secular realm. Of course, since then, as you just described, it's kind of morphed, particularly critical theory has morphed and it's become uh, something that shows up in all areas of life. It's become much more pervasive and much more complex, especially when you start thinking about what's going on with the climate stuff and how the WEF is involved and all that. Like it really gets like this isn't Mormonism. Uh, tucked away in Utah where I'm at, right? I mean, because you can study the Mormons and think, well, they're mostly in Utah or whatever. This is like, it's everywhere all the time. So how do you combat perhaps some of the accusations that come from now Christians who have embraced social justice to a degree who are saying, look, you're just a conspiracy theorist. You're saying it's it's affecting everything. You're saying it's going to come to all of us and it's this big doom and gloom, doomsday stuff. This just sounds like one big complicated conspiracy theory. How do you combat that that sort of retort? Um, well, I, I think someone who says that is 
probably unfamiliar with some of the work that's been done to show um to, to track this and to show how it's grown and the myriad of organizations that are involved in promoting it. So that it just sounds to me like it's ignorance. There's a lack of information there uh, for someone who says that. Uh, and that's one of the reasons that I wrote, especially my second book, um, so uh, Christianity and Social Justice, was just to show uh, the, the longevity of this movement, the different iterations of it, um, the ideas behind it and, and how to identify it when you see it. So I think when someone uh, actually studies it, uh, and it doesn't take that long, I mean, you can, there's plenty of books now out there describing it, I think they can now all of a sudden see it. In Christianity, uh, sometimes you'll get that objection because someone will say, well, I don't see in evangelicalism people who are, let's say, parts of the radical elements of these movements. I don't see radical transgender activists in evangelicalism. I mean, the Gospel Coalition isn't posting things to try to soft-pedal transgenderism necessarily, right? So there, therefore, you, you must be uh, blowing smoke. And But the thing is, it if you understand... The, the different iterations of social justice that are out there and the, the objectives that uh, social justice activists have, you can see a lot of the other goals uh, are represented there. And so you don't have to take the most radical um, forms that we currently know of social justice activism as those are the only, that's the only thing that's, that's what, that's what social justice is. There's, there's milder forms and there's, um, and for an evangelical Christianity, I mean, you would be laughed out of the room if you immediately introduce something that uh, extreme. You would have to start with gra more gradual, subversive forms. And so uh, the way Marxism has always worked is by uh, subverting. And, and, and so that's what I've tried to show. And, um, and so some people, I think, uh, because they, they don't see the, the most radical elements that Fox News talks about maybe blatantly there in their face, they think it might be a conspiracy, or because they just can't conceive of their pastor or, or spiritual leaders in these organizations being compromised in that way. It's just like a, um, it's a, it's a matter of self-deception. They kind of re reject the evidence that's staring them in the face. Uh, so that's that's really my answer for it is is it's just it's an information problem or it's it's a it's a problem of not wanting to see the information that's out there, which can very easily be corrected with just a, a conversation and pointing out some of the areas in which this stuff is making inroads. What are so within the church as you know, um, it kind of ties in with with uh, with part of Jeremy's question and part of your answer there about, OK, the different ways that. Uh, social justice does, you say it's subversive. It, it comes in in ways that it's not entirely obvious to us. It's subverting things. What are some of those more subtle ways that it begins to sneak inside the church and begin to have an effect there in ways that we would not necessarily be fully aware of or uh, maybe even be on guard against that we need to be yeah. on guard against? Where is it, That's almost like, where do I start? Because I could probably fill up the rest of the time of this podcast with examples of that. But let me give you some broad um, and common examples of where this takes place. So uh, let's start with the BLM stuff. Um, racial reconciliation sounds great. I mean, who could be against that? We want people to be reconciled. Uh, so you use a term that's spiritual or religious in nature, and um, people's guards are down because they, they, they don't see a problem with that. Then just infuse it, though, with some critical theory. Infuse it with a little bit. doesn't have to be uh, the whole nine yards, but... Um, how about, you know, we need the oppressed understandings of individuals to understand the Bible uh, more accurately, or we get a better interpretation the more minority voices are represented. Uh, well, that's when a light bulb should go off and we should be thinking, wait a minute, that's not, where do we, how do we justify that? And, and you figure out that's actually standpoint theory. That's actually a postmodern idea that there are these barriers that people have, and, and there's a Gnostic kind of wisdom that um, oppressed, quote unquote, people um, have that so, so they don't have those barriers that maybe others have. So um, you get a, a, a deeper understanding of truth. Well, that, that's a totally anti-Christian. That is not a biblical idea whatsoever, but it it comes to us in ways that it it takes advantage of our general sense of good manners 
and civility and hospitality. And, and we just think, well, of course, you know, we should, we should listen. We should uh, hear the wisdom that comes from minority voices, but not realizing the assumption that we just bought into. A lot of pastors did this after the George, George Floyd um, uh, situation where they had minorities from their congregation, ethnic minorities come up and they would do interviews with them from the stage. This happened a lot. Uh, and they would ask them, well, what's it like interacting with the police? What's it like being a black man in America or a Hispanic woman in America? Or And, and so instead of opening in the word of God and finding out what does the word of God say about justice? What does the word of God say about violence? What's his law say? It, it was instead uh, what do these minority perspectives, these unquestionable, these uh, really almost divine in nature perspectives say? So that, that's one example. It, it, um, do, uh, yeah. Taking that example specifically, sure. do you think that was driven by, this is broad strokes, of course, do you think that was driven by the white guilt that many white pastors were told to have as, uh, yeah. you know, hey, since you're a white pastor uh, and a white cop killed a black man, you need to find a black guy in your church or a black woman and put him or her on the stage and then engage in this kind of standpoint epistemology. So it's almost like the standpoint epistemology became the vehicle, but the fuel of that was this faux guilt. Absolutely. Yeah. I think there was a, a way of trying to seek forgiveness and um, trying try expiation somehow through this process of uh, anti-racism. Uh, I mean, there, there's all sorts of other examples, trying to diversify your elder board, trying to diversify your your uh, theological library, um, taking down all your flannel graphs that might depict Jesus as white, you know, in, in some way, shape or form. Um, let's participate now in Black History Month somehow. Let's, I mean, there's all these different ways that uh, people were trying to decenter whiteness, quote unquote, as attached now to racial reconciliation as part of. Uh, the necessary steps that we must take in order to somehow be right with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And it ignored just the, the fact that Christ has already done this work um, of reconciling us to himself, all peoples, tribes, nations, and um, that it, it's really, to, he wasn't involved though in the process. Christ, this was a Christless um, uh, step towards reconciliation. So it's the same thing that was happening in the world, only with a Christian veneer and Christian lingo. Uh, you saw the same thing, I think, with um, the LGBT movement, that it moves a little bit different because that is so blatantly against sexual ethics in the scripture. But there's a soft peddling, revoice theology, side B stuff, that you can have these same-sex attractions, desires, temptations, whatever, and have an identity that's... Um, that, that goes along with that. So you can consider yourself gay, homosexual, uh, or just have these attractions and still be a Christian somehow. And, and that that's fine. Those two things can go together. That's a soft peddling. It's a normalization of LGBT um, stuff. Uh, we saw with the Me Too movement that there's a church to movement as well. And um, the guilty and soul proven innocent uh, let's make databases. Southern Baptist Convention is doing this right now, a database outside the legal um, databases that already exist, but one where we can file accusations against pastors and leaders in the denomination to, in such a way that they can't really defend themselves from those accusations. They wind up on a list. And, and so they have a blot. They have a stain about them that you know they may not even be aware of perhaps, but they have it now as a result of an accusation that must be taken seriously because, well, it's an accusation. I mean, that's the Me Too movement. Uh, that That's um, really against the due process that we've all uh, held dear in Western traditions, motivated by a Christian understanding of two or three witnesses of um, trying to actually verify whether or not a, a sin has taken place. So, so, so we see that. Um, I mean, we saw with the COVID stuff, uh, this sort of soft peddling of totalitarianism and the church should listen to Caesar and, and, and over Jesus in, in some respects. They would never phrase it that way, but uh, it's the same totalitarian kind of push, which is related to social justice. You have to have a centralized uh, force that's capable of implementing some kind of equality for everyone and, and, and the common good. Uh, so, so yeah, there, there's probably other ways I'm not even thinking of right now, but th this has really taken the church by storm, and it, it's certainly, it's out there. And the longer it's 
remains unchecked, thankfully there's a lot of fighting about it now, but the longer that it was remaining unchecked, the deeper these influences would move. And, um, and so I, I think we're, we're in a point now where um, most denominations have somewhat, there, there's some pushback somewhere. There's some realization of, of what's actually happening. And, and that's a good thing. We just really need that to ramp up a whole lot more uh, to identify here are the people that have brought in false teachings. Um, sometimes it's a false gospel, blatantly so. And that needs to be anathematized, identified, and, uh, and, and the denominations and organizations involved with this really just have to, uh, they have to purify themselves. So. Yeah, a lot of a lot of what we do in, in with our podcast is we we spend a lot of time talking about primary and secondary doctrine and what belongs in each category and why and and how we should think about and talk through issues of primary and secondary and tertiary importance. A lot of people, when it comes to the social justice stuff, they they might say that as long as you're not going so far to the to the radical edges of social justice, that this is really a secondary issue. And that we really shouldn't be having too much of an issue with with some of these things because people have good motives, people have good reasons for why they want to get involved with some of this stuff. And so it's really not that big of a deal. Uh, what kind of response might you have to to someone who's looking at it through that lens uh, instead of wanting to just kind of chuck the whole thing? Well, how much false teaching is acceptable <laughs> would be my question. Uh, so, you know, what are they talking about? Um, I think generally someone maybe along the lines of what you're describing is thinking in terms of compassion. You know, it's it, what if someone just has compassion for other people that might be marginalized somehow, you know, what's wrong with that? And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a, a perverted use of a natural sympathy that may exist for the purpose of um, trying to give more power to either the government or sometimes it's the denomination or organization try, try to implement some kind of mechanism uh, that has consequences people generally aren't looking at. Um, some cures are worse than their diseases uh, in order to rectify a situation that may not even be a legitimate situation. In other words, uh, I'll take the Southern Baptists again and what they're doing with this Caring Well initiative. Uh, so they've had this huge outcry about their sexual abuse problem in their denomination. Now, if you run the numbers of what's available, at least, there isn't any significant sexual abuse problem in the denomination. Uh, for a denomination as big as they are, actually, it's surprising that they haven't had as many cases as are reported. But any organization of people that's as large as the SBC is going to have some level of predators. They're, they're just going to be there. You can't actually, there's there's no mechanism this side of heaven you can implement that will guarantee that doesn't happen. That's just, that's a Christian understanding. We live in a sin of cursed world. We need to take every precaution we can that's reasonable to take, but we will never eradicate sin this side of heaven. So that, and that's the first thing that's not being said. This isn't really part of the discussion and it needs to be. So you have a bunch of really compassionate, let's say, let, let's just attribute the best possible motives, because I, I think some of the people steering this don't have those, but many of the people voting for this and in support of it, let's say they do have compassionate motives. They say, ah, we, we hate sexual abuse. Okay, good. I hate it too. We should all hate it. God hates it. Um, but what are you going to do practically about it? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to implement this database that I just explained to you, and, and that has the capability of hurting someone's uh, career by making false accusations against them. But that's worth it because there might be some true accusations in there too. Mm. We're going to change the whole nature of our denomination around from one that was of independent autonomous churches to now a hierarchy exists that can be sued, which is why lawyers and law firms are lining up to sue the Southern Baptist Convention for incidents of abuse that have taken place in specific churches. And they're going to sue the central authority because well, it was on you. You're the ones that you're taking responsibility for this now. You have, uh, you've centralized control and power in order to deal with this and come up with a mechanism for eradicating uh, abuse somehow. Um, we're going to shame anyone who doesn't go along with this as if they aren't against abuse, as if the only solution is what we're doing. Um, 
we are going to that's a very powerful tool right there extremely extremely powerful and essentially the end goal is the 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 end result is the denominations destroyed because the wolves the lawyers are at the door and they will take any case and it doesn't matter if it's a legitimate or illegitimate case it will drown you in legal fees and now a southern baptist church who has really good policies on preventing abuse prevention is now responsible for the church down the street that doesn't have good abuse prevention policies so it, it's really what they're doing is pretty insane and it's it, all it can lead to is more conflict um really greater financial liability for the denomination and it's really in all of this there's really nothing proving that it's going to stop abuse None of this stuff actually stops um, abuse. And, and, and so cooler heads have not prevailed, but it's all in the name of compassion. And so I think someone who's making that charge that, that you, or that, that raising the concern you're talking about, is, you know, what's the big deal? Well, think through the implications of some of these policies. Think through where this potentially leads. Think through the alternatives. Um, think, you know, so think through the side effects. And if, if you're not thinking through those things, if you're just kind of narrow tunnel vision on, well, this is a problem and we have to do this and this is the only solution, well, then you're just going to be hoodwinked by the social justice lobby. Uh, I mean, and this is how communism always works. You know, look at all these poor destitute people. Yeah, Jesus said you'll always have the poor with you. Doesn't mean we don't have compassion and we shouldn't give of, of ourselves. We should give to charity. But they make they manipulate themselves into positions where the only solution is is communism now. And if you aren't for that, you must hate these poor people that we're trying to help, right? So you can see how manipulative that is. And um, and so it's not really compassion ultimately behind all this that's driving it. It's, it's, a, it's a desire to change the very structure of these organizations and how they operate, who's in charge, uh, more power gets centralized. And at the same time, bringing in the, the you know, not my term, but Stalin said the useful idiots, right? In in uh, in Russia, bringing in the people who haven't really thought through this too much, but have compassion, legitimately so, to support this totalitarian push. Uh, so, if, if I could just like summarize what you just said over the last few minutes, thinking what someone might be hearing you say, um, let me just state that, and then you respond uh, whether that's whether that's an accurate reflection. Uh, the sex abuse scandal in the SBC isn't as bad as what has been reported. It's been magnified and the data has been manipulated by people within the denomination with bad motivations and their motivations um, are that they are communistic and they want to impose a communistic type of totalitarianism on the denomination, destroy it, rebuild it in a different way. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and and every all the other moves have been the same way. Do we have a we have a horrible racism problem? Where? Where's the where's the problem? They they can't really hardly give you specifics. It, and when they do, there it, it's it's like First Baptist Naples. You look into it and you're like, "Yeah, that's you know, mm. not really." You know, what what are you talking? I mean, I'm sure a denomination of this size is going to have some insensitive people who say things, but um but it's like a knee-jerk emergency. We have to do something now. And by the way, the thing that we're going to do right now is going to fundamentally change the whole denomination around. And and, and it's had a, a bad effect. You put um, you, you diversify all these various entities, these elder boards and these uh, trustee boards and everything, and you end up putting people who aren't qualified for their positions in positions they can't really handle at times, um, which isn't fair to them. Uh, you end up uh, changing your whole hermeneutic around with how you're supposed to even interpret scripture, uh, because you have to get these minority experiences first before you can do anything. Uh, and you end up um, propagating the very thing you're saying you're trying to solve. You end up making white people in general out to be the villains or the, the, the bad guys. And, you know, they're the one um, culture that's not allowed to be represented in any way is, is some kind of Western European culture. So um, it, I mean, in some churches, it's gotten to the point where, you know, they've changed, they can't do the hymns anymore. These Western European mm -hmm. hymns. I had someone tell me that recently that this push was made and they were accused of racism if they uh, didn't implement all these other, these forms, these other styles of, of music. Uh, it, so it can get into so many different areas. It just causes more strife and division. I mean, 
Are, are we more at peace now having gone through this for the last couple of years in Christianity or are we less at peace? I think the, the answer is obvious. I mean, there's more division now than there, than there was, let's say five years ago. Um, so, so this stuff can only bring division. It's, it's not, uh, there's the source of this is not God. And I think that's the, uh, the, the, the source is such an important issue. You know, there, there was a day years ago when you just use the word Marxism, you use the word communism, and you have instantly won the argument because people are so afraid of those concepts and those systems because of what they had observed around the world where those ideologies were employed. And today there's not that same level of skepticism towards those words and those concepts you almost have to take a few steps back and and start dealing with why these systems and why these issues are as problematic as they are and really what it comes down to is is the source is do these things accurately reflect biblical values yeah absolutely um i mean the goal of social justice is an equity inclusion diversity heaven here on earth that we can get there eventually. The, the thing is, as Christians, we know you never get there, the side of heaven. And it's it, it's elusive. It's like the rainbow. You'll never actually, and, and all the things you're doing to try to implement it actually create a new hierarchy. When you centralize authority like that, um, you end up with the bad guy, the bad bully, or the good bully that's supposed to beat up all the bad bullies. But that, how do you know that good bully is actually good? You, you've just made a, um, especially if you're talking on the government level, you're a totalitarian government that is capable of trouncing on all our individual personal freedoms. And, um, and, and now there's nothing to protect you because you've already destroyed all the, the voluntary associations and churches and other hierarchies that could have been there to kind of cushion things between this, the state and the individual. So um, if, if the goal is to get rid of hierarchy so everyone's equal, the solution for them is to make the biggest hierarchy that's ever been created a globalist you know government of some kind that that's going to make sure everything's fair uh so some of these denominations that ha have gone along with that agenda but they've also tried to do it kind of police their own denomination to show I, th I think that's another motivator here too to show like well we don't have a racism problem here we don't have a sexism problem we don't have there's no homophobia here uh, look at our denomination. We've already policed this. We've already implemented all the mechanisms required to eradicate it. And so, um, you know, don't come knocking on our door, totalitarian government. You know, we, you know, so there's, I think, a sense in which they're trying to put the ram's blood on the door so the angel of death doesn't uh, come over them. But that's just futile. We have a Bible that is so out of step with the current zeitgeist. Uh, you're going to offend them. And that's the thing. The gospel offends. The law offends. And the, the ethics of Jesus offend. So there's no way to actually escape that. And we shouldn't be trying to um, to, to make ourselves palatable to a, a, an increasingly hostile world. That that attempt is just, what does it buy you? A little time, maybe? I don't know. But it, it's you end up just weakening your institution. So the church ends up becoming more and more watered down. Um, the truths that are inconvenient to discuss in church aren't discussed anymore. You now read into certain passages things that are are very favorable to the uh, current social, secular social justice movement. So you subvert the text, and you really get to the place that German Christians were at in 1938 in Germany, where everything is so weakened by neo-orthodoxy and higher criticism that there's no resistance that is possible when the government truly does come for the church, uh, which is inevitable. So. Um, so, so right now, I think in, in larger denominations, the, the very wrong moves are being made. The, the moves that are ensuring the defeat of, of these institutions. Thankfully, the church, the true church is never defeated, but these organizations will be uh, if they keep going down this path. Now, with, with all of the, the research that you have done and uh, all the different resources that are out there, we recognize that not every single individual within a local church is going to be able to or have access to all of the same resources, be able to do all their own research and things. What would you say, if you could boil it down to two or three things, the top priorities that the average layperson within a local church who loves the Lord, who loves his word, and they want to see the gospel go forward, what two or three priorities would you say are most important for them to be pursuing as they seek to, to be faithful believers of Jesus Christ, faithful followers of Christ, 
in regards to all the social justice stuff going on? Um, so, so are you talking about like habits they can, um, yeah, any kind of priorities that they could pursue, whether that's that's habits or conversations that they should be engaged in. Mm. Uh, what what would be the the top priorities? Well, I think that churches need to be ready for this and probably um, look at their faith statement and put some language in there that hedges against it, so that they have something to put to to point to if a false teacher comes in and tries to start pushing social justice uh, rhetoric. Um, I have a, if you go to discerningchristians.com and their statement of faith, I've written a sample there uh, of some language that can be used, but a lot of churches are starting to do this. So that would really more be for, I guess, pastors and elders and and at a church, I think um, individual laymen, um, I think, so so here's some things that might sound very obvious, but um, I think they are worth their weight in gold. One of them is make sure that if you're a father and a mother that if you you have a good strong family identity that you are because one of the moves of the social justice movement is to try to vilify the past and to vilify um whether it's obvious or not the family unit as the place where the bigotries are passed down and um the a, a place of um uh, where privilege is kind of nurtured and i think if children grow up with a strong sense of identity and and hopefully they become christian so that should be the, the strongest one is is having a grounding in the word of god so but but whether that happens or not um because we can't parents can't always control that if they have a strong sense of family obligation and identity knowing who they are they're not going to be as taken in by social justice because it preys upon generally people who are weak in those areas that don't have a strong identity uh, that are are looking for an identity somewhere else. Um, I think getting to know various kinds of people, having a broad range of experience is important. If, if the social justice movement right now wants to vilify old white men, well, if you go to a church or if you're part of organizations in which your children know old white men and know some of them are actually really nice, <laughs> they're not going to fall for that. They're going to realize that's not accurate. You know, that's not not all old white men aren't always the villains. No, I mean they're um, so so so. I think those are important things in addition to the strong theology, understanding that we're all sinners, that it's doesn't come in shades of color, that uh, that there's truth is objective, uh, that we can with hard work pursuing, we can know what the Bible says, we can know what, the kinds of things that are out there in natural revelation for us to find. Um, knowing that there's not a barrier to that because of um, some kind of social location we might have, uh, valuing um, the ethics of uh, v- verifying claims, uh, accusations, um, knowing um, what partiality partiality is and not to show partiality, that that's what biblical justice is. I mean, the, the truth is all there in the word of God. So, um, so, so a lot of what I've been talking about is, I guess, in relation to, to raising children primarily. I think um, for individuals who are just whether single or married, but just they themselves want to inoculate against this. Uh, I think I, I don't think it's helpful to bury yourself in like like I've told people, I don't think you should listen to my podcast all the time or make that your only diet, the only part of your diet. That would be very unhealthy. Uh, it, it would just be like if you were listening to a podcast on Mormonism all the time, and you, your head's constantly in error. Um, if you lived in Utah, though, should you be somewhat familiar with what's ha- what's happening in Mormonism? Yeah, you should. So whatever that looks like in your life, whether that's a podcast or a book or a once in a while just going to the, the website and reading the updates, the the news, you know, in more the Mormon Church, you know, familiarize yourself to some extent with the developments that are out there, just so you can be prepared when they come knocking on the door of your house or your church. Uh, so there's a few things. Hopefully that helps. I mean, some of that's pretty obvious, but um, I think a lot of people forget to do that. And, and then when it happens, they're not ready. You you mentioned earlier that there's some longevity to the whole woke movement, uh, the way that it's entering into all kinds of different spheres. 
but do you see an eventual expiration date on this movement? I mean, something I've thought about uh, with like the, the gay movement is, well, quite naturally, they, they can't build generational strength uh, through that movement because they can't, you know, have children. So um, is there something to that with the woke movement as a whole? Do you see this has something that's just going to be around until Jesus returns? Do you think Christians will get victory on this? Will it die out? As you, as you look in the years ahead, how do you see this playing out? Well, I think if you understand it as a fundamentally religious movement, then the only thing that can truly compete with it is going to be another religion because it satisfies a lot of the questions, the ultimate questions that people have, like what's the goal of life? Well, building an equity, uh, uh, inclusive, uh, pluralistic kind of utopia here. Um, who are you? Well, I know my social location and that puts me, that, that gives me a form of identity somehow. Um, what's, you know, how, how do you get from A to B? How do you get from where we are to where we should be? Well, through activism. So you have something to occupy your time. Um, there's just, you know, there, there's a lot of things, a lot of the yearnings we have for God are kind of met in this totalitarian state. We cry out to the state when there's an emergency and give all the power and glory to the state. And, so there's a lot of parallels there, and so um, I don't I don't see a substitute rising up at, at a quick enough rate to compete with that religion. I think if there was a revival of Christianity, I think that that would kill the woke movement, true Christianity, not the compromised woke Christianity, but true authentic Christianity. Um, if there was another false religion that came along that you know wasn't social justice minded, that might compete with it and, and kind of take the wind out of its sails. But ultimately, wokeism is statism. That's where it ends up leading you inevitably. Even the people who don't, who are against totalitarianism, the more libertarian minded woke people, I don't think they realize that what they're buying into eventually leads to totalitarianism. You really can't get away from it. Hmm. You need something, some powerful force to, to, to be able to police, regulate, uh, eliminate, um, organizations and people who stand in the way of the movement in order for the movement to be successful. And it can only be this, this governing force. So um, I, I think as long as there's a move towards big government, which is happening more and more as the years go by, uh, that's going to come right along with it. And it may change forms. There may be different priorities and emphases, but it's going to continue as, as long as the government keeps um, taking the place of God and, uh, and there's not a competitor to it. So I don't really know what the future holds. God could do anything, but if things are left unchallenged at, at the current rate, then I think it, it eventually just winds up in really a, a communist and a globalist state of some kind. Uh, and that's a kind of a dismal, I guess, outlook, but I, I'm trying to be accurate with you. I just don't so know. You're not post-millennial. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not. Um, I think woke people are very post-millennial. At least it's a secular kind of post-millennialism that they have. They're implementing a kingdom here. Um, I, I think, um, I mean, even the post-millennial brothers that I have who are against this generally will admit to me, sometimes it's in private, but they'll admit to me things aren't going so swell right now. Uh, their hope is that that'll turn around real quick, that people, there's going to be, everyone's going to wake up, but I, I haven't seen that. There are the examples that, that, that are often, you know, that conserve, political conservatives are looking for and Christians sometimes are things like, hey, look, Dave Chappelle, the comedian, is he's pushing back a little bit. Hey, look at what Elon Musk just did with Twitter and look how he's treating them. Look at Jordan Peterson. Look at, you know, so they, they're, um, they're they're trying to get like Joe Rogan and like these these secular figures who are totally not Christian and certainly not politically conservative, at least not Christian in the orthodox sense. They're they're trying to get these people who would have been really good Democrats, a lot of them, a decade ago, to now be examples of where things are going really well. Like these guys are the new leaders who are going to kind of bring us into an anti woke future, and it, it's just it's laughable in my mind. You know, these really those guys that you know, Elon Musk who believes in uh, abortion and um, you know same-sex marriage and just, I mean he does not have a remotely Christian ethic, but there's a desperation to find something, some glimmer of hope, 
And so I'm here to give you the bad news that I don't see that hope. (laughs) (laughs) I do see hope in God, though. I see hope in the church and in Christ and that the church will continue no matter what. That that much is certain to me. That is the one institution that will survive. Um, I mean, the family will survive, too. But the church, as far as public institutions, it's going to live on. It may go underground, but there's the gates of hell can't prevail against the church ultimately. So, um, so I, I do believe that that if if you're looking for something that's bedrock that you can sink your teeth into, plant your feet on, go to the church. That's that's the place that you're going to find. And it, it may be hard. There may be persecution, but it's not going away. And no amount of totalitarianism can make it go away. Well, when the new bastion of conservative thought is comprised of an Orthodox Jew, a homosexual, a Catholic, and a secular Jungian psychologist. And a Mormon. Yeah. And a Mormon, yeah. <laughs> it, it's almost like it's, it's, a, it's a bad joke waiting for a bad punchline, right? It's, it's, uh, it leads us with a lot of, a lot of questions. But Yeah, agreed. I have to say, as, as I'm just listening to uh, some of your responses today and just uh, some of the things that you've said, Two things really stand out to me as being so critical, and I want to get your feedback on this. One is, and we were talking about this even a little bit before we started recording, the importance of a a sound biblical hermeneutic. If we're going to know what the Word of God says, and we're approaching it as the authority and as the sufficient Word of God, that is going to go a long way to guarding ourselves against error. And then the second thing is a good apologetic, and I'm a, I'm a big fan of presuppositional apologetics myself. That's the that's the approach that I would take, where when we're combating ideas that are really at presuppositional levels, all this standpoint epistemologies and and all these different approaches that are out there are really ideologies born out of certain presuppositions. The only way to combat that is with a biblical presupposition that comes from the Word of God. So I'd be curious to get your response to those things. Well, yeah, we need a firm grounding. There's no doubt about that. Um, if if you're not grounded, then you're going to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, and, and and you won't know what to believe. And that's, I think, what totalitarians like. They love confusion. They love, um, they love when you're not confident, because then you can you go to them, and they will be the ones from on high to dictate to you. So if you're confident in your reading of the scripture, if you understand, if you have the belief that you can know what it means and what it says, and you have the tools of analysis by which to do it, then you're not uh, likely to be taken captive by someone who comes to you and says, well, you need my perspective. You know, have you, you want to know how to deal with abuse? Well, you don't need quote unquote survivors perspective perspectives to know what to do with abuse. The word of God has told you Mm. how to handle abuse situations. Um, it doesn't mean that you can't get wisdom and experience from others, but who are you going to go to when you want wisdom and experience? You're going to go to people who are knowledgeable about the word of God, people who have spent time in it, um, people who are um, uh, who are well-versed and have maybe the years under their belt of counseling in these various situations and know how to apply the word of God. So it, you're not going to, to victim categories necessarily as, as your primary uh, way of figuring that out. So I think that's very key, um, being grounded. I think what you said about hermeneutics is, is absolutely spot on. Um, and as far as apologetics, I, you know, I, I think um, whether you're presuppositional or evidential or classical or any, you know any of these other schools of, of apologetics, you definitely, um, you definitely in that want to have a very strong and robust, I think, understanding of natural revelation and special revelation and the the authority that those things hold and that. Mm-hmm. Um, that they do not conflict, and that um, special revelation uh, is is not up for grabs. It, it's uh, it's not something that can be overwrought by anything else, overridden by anything else. Um, so if, if you have a strong understanding of um, special revelation, and so you ha- you have that hermeneutic, and then you, you you have determined what it says, you know what it says. You're, and you're willing, you're not willing to bend from that because those are the very words of God. Then you're you're not going to be um, as I think naive about some of this stuff, and and so that that's very key. And for pastors especially, they need to be just well grounded uh, in that stuff. Um, a lot of the issues that I've seen, I'm seeing coming into the church, 
seem to be issues that if you just open your Bible, you don't even need to know the languages. If you just know English and have a good English translation, you really should be able to figure out some of this stuff. That's the thing that is curious to me when you have people who are have, have learned on the seminary level and sometimes beyond that, going to just going to guidepost solutions, let's say, as a uh, as the firm the SBC used for navigating there and, and, get, and getting recommendations for their uh, abuse situation. I mean, this is a group that's pro-LGBT. It's not Christian in the least. They made big mistakes, even on their report that they issued. I mean, it's just so strange to me when we have a we have a book. Like, why not open that one up? Yeah. Uh, so they're so basic. These aren't complicated things, a lot of them. They're actually very basic things. But people, for whatever reason, even on the seminary level, there seems to be a lack of grounding uh, and, and a lack of confidence in the scripture and what the scripture has to say. So we need to regain that somehow. Very good. Well, we want to thank you so much for, for joining us today. Um, I'll, we'll let you have uh, the last word as far as this, if you have any words of encouragement for anyone or anything else you want to say or, or uh you know, plug your website or anything else. Um, but we yeah, do maybe think people you. might need some encouragement after that. <laughs> um, well, I, I will say that I have seen people come out of this who have, mm -hmm. I, I was actually with a friend just a few days ago who was kind of on board with a lot of elements of the social justice movement. And I think um, the reason was, I mean, it was a misplaced compassion and kind of a trusting, trusting the leaders in, in his organization and, and uh, just, really not thinking or, or or not being suspicious that there could be that, that they might have bad motivations thinking that they their motivations are good and now he's seeing it now he's seeing it and he's really done a 180 and i and i've seen this before and i, and I don't know how many people are coming out of it but i think a lot of people are I, th I think slowly people are starting to realize that this is vacuous this doesn't satisfy it doesn't actually solve the problems that it's supposed to solve and um, and, and so I'm, what I'm hoping is that that momentum just keeps increasing and that there is a clear break. Um, the dust hasn't settled yet, but I'm hoping that there's a clear division of um, just like with the, the you know, fundamentalists and the modernists that these are the issues. You're on that side. We're on this side. We're with the word of God over here. And I think when there's that clarity exists, um, it's going to be a, a huge game changer. Um, right now, it, it's been muddled, uh, and and so, but I think that that the the fog is starting to lift, and um, and so I'm positive about that. I, I am. I, I'm positive about the purity of the church, at least that God is is purifying His church. He's revealing to us what's already been been there and hasn't been good, and. I think the church is going to come out actually stronger through this. And, and I don't know where that all leads, but I'm excited to see what God will do through that. Mm -hmm. Amen. Very good. John Harris, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks, Ken.